Welcome to Beyond Investment, Valkyrie Insight, the definitive series where we delve into the extraordinary journeys of our portfolio company founders. Hi, I'm Kenny, venture partner at the Valkyrie Fund. And I'm Clarice, principal at Valkyrie Fund. As we unravel the tales of visionary entrepreneurs who turn their dreams into reality. In this podcast, we explore the genesis of their ventures, sharing invaluable insights and actionable tips that can help fuel your own entrepreneurial journeys. Valkyrie Fund, a Silicon Valley-based venture capital powerhouse, is dedicated to seeking substantial capital appreciation across diverse opportunities. Focusing on early-stage gyms, in deep tech, precise medicine, and sustainability, we thrive on cultivating unfair advantages. Our approach is anchored in thoughtful strategy, disciplined execution, and unwavering persistence over the long haul. Join us as we uncover the stories behind the success, decode the strategy that feels gross, and unlock the wisdom that can propel your inspiration to new heights. This is Beyond Investment, Valkyrie Insights, where inspiration meets execution and dreams take flight. Today, we're honored to have Huan Su, co-founder of Xbiz, here to talk about the company, decentralized infrastructure of AI, Web3, and entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Huan Su. I'm co-founder of Exabits. I have a background in economics and finance. So I was a uh, professor for a very long time at Tsinghua University teaching finance to MBAs and worked at China Merchants Bank as uh, head of quantitative equities. So currently, a very exciting project that I'm working on, Exhibits, we're building a decentralized uh, computing network for affordable AI at scale. Thank you, so, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, that actually covered my first question. You know, like you talk quickly talking about uh, introduce Xbiz. And uh, can you maybe share, you know, the story behind the inception of Xbiz and how the idea, you know, evolved to the current form? Yeah, sure, of course. So our team has actually had a very long track record of building and researching and working on cloud computing for many years. So in fact, prior to launching Exabits. We had worked with major telecommunication companies in the world to build out their edge computing and had a very successful commercial record, uh, had millions of dollars in revenue. And we took that as the, the genesis of Exhibits and to repurpose the idea uh, to provide computing for AI. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, may I ask, you know, AI is, of course, a very big thing. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, how does the decentralized nature of Xbiz, you know, actually contribute to the accessibility and the fairness of, you know, AI-related services? Sure. It's projected with the explosive growth of AI that by 2030, the traditional cloud services and data centers can cover a mere 6% of total projected demand. So this, this scarcity of compute resource means we expect the prices to go up exponentially fast. So in fact, we recently became aware of a new H100 offerings that AWS is now launching as part of their products, charging something like $12.50 per hour per GPU, which is the multiples of what we know, according to our calculations, the actual marginal cost of running these chips. 
So the idea is we want to find ways to extract and use the decentralized platform to effectively make use um, out of idle compute capacities and consumer-grade GPUs. And this allows us to lower the cost dramatically in many cases by more than 85% of what the traditional cloud services charge. And this, of course, in turn, lowers the barrier of entry for many developers and small businesses to train and own their own AI models. That's amazing. I love the vision. And uh, you know, with, with the vision that grand, it, it, of course, it's not very easy to, to do this. So maybe you can tell us a little bit, you know, like what has been the most significant challenge that you faced during the development of the company and you know, what have you learned from overcoming them? So there are millions and millions of, of consumer-grade GPUs in the hands of individuals and in, in organizations, um, businesses worldwide. So our challenge has been to effectively convert the, a decentralized consumer-grade GPUs into commercial-grade performing devices so that effective AI training can be done. So this was this is a major technical challenge, and it requires us to master orchestration, optimization, and accelerating these these devices, and the the effort and gathering the right kind of talent and the research and the methodologies invested into building this has really been an, a paramount challenge that that we've we've been hacking away for years, and we're still um, in the process of perfecting it. That's amazing. It seems very very difficult. And uh, I, I noticed that you guys, you know, utilize the underground uh, blockchain technology. And, uh, you know, can you maybe share some of the difference, you know, building a, a Web3 startups compared to, you know, building this company in purely in Web2? I think the big difference is the divide between fundamental value versus speculative value creation that's predicated on virtual ecosystems and Web3.0. So we've always... We've always been believers of providing real actual value as, as the bedrock of, of our, of our business. And ultimately to convince our investors and the various stakeholders that are important to us to understand and value the, the business product and the proposition we're offering them. Thank you so much. And, uh, it, it looks like that, you know, the one, the vision is that, you know, like you're trying to pull all the ideal computers, you know, and, uh, you know, like, uh, I think that's really, really cool. And, uh, but can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how you encourage and also facilitate the active user to participate in, in this network? So we do this by using incentive mechanisms. We want to make sure that we're, we reward users commensurate with both the quality and volume of compute they contribute to the network. Second, we, we work very hard to make our user interface very user-friendly, intuitive, and for non-AI specialists and developers to be able to readily access and use the platform. As part of our plans, we want to eventually implement a, a DAO, a decentralized uh, autonomous organization to encourage open source contributions uh, to our platform's code base and to support creating applications that will be meaningful in, in building the community. And, uh, you know, do you have a timeline uh, in terms of, you know, like a when we'll be launching? We're looking at next year. That's great because I just signed up last night and uh, I, I cannot wait to be part of the, the network. And uh, my next question is, you know, with the use of the, you know, blockchain and, you know, decentralized identity, like how do you ensure the security and the privacy of the user data transaction on the platform? Because, you know, like indeed, like we are actually plugging our computers to the network. 
so everyone who is in this business is well aware. So blockchain, it provides an immutable ledger uh, where uh, record keeping is fully transparent and everyone has access and cannot be tampered with. And then we use smart contracts that can that automatically execute on the terms as long as the, the conditions have been fulfilled. And we, we use zero-knowledge proof and other cryptographic methods to validate transactions without revealing sensitive information. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, this is very assuring. Can you tell me, you know, like this is question is more towards AI in general. Like, tell me, how do you envision experts contribute to the growth of the overall AI and blockchain ecosystem globally? And uh, maybe can you describe your long-term vision for XBase and its role uh, shaping the future of the technologies? So when you look at AI, so it's, it, there's really been an explosive growth. And I think the, um, there's probably more hype than reality with artificial intelligence. I know that the, those in the, the venture capital community is sort of their attitude toward AI is shifted suddenly where if, if any project is related to it, they want to have some exposure. But the truth of the matter is AI, we're still, the world is still trying to figure out ways in which there's practical application that really works and, 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 um, can create products out of them. And, and in addition to this, a big challenge is the world is also coming to realizing that AI consumes a tons and tons of computation. And this computation is not free. It can only be done by specialized equipment of which NVIDIA, of course, has near monopoly in, in providing this. So we see ourselves as providing a, a Web 3.0 based solution to a major Web 2.0 problem by using decentralized methods to create this computing network that, of course, ultimately lowers the, the, the barrier to entry uh, by, by dramatically lowering the cost and finding ways for people to make profitable use out of their everyday devices and contribute toward compute. Web 3.0 itself also is, is an investment theme that to this day remains as a, a subculture in the Silicon Valley, right? It's, it's not a, a mainstream theme for traditional investors yet. And you know many people don't understand what it is. So we're, we're very excited and happy about placing that spotlight on, on, on this currently growing community. And hopefully we, we can find a, a very powerful solution and help AI grow and, and give democratic access to everyone who, who wants to have and build their own AI models. Thank you for answers of the questions. And, uh, you know, like a, not long ago, Sam Altman from OpenAI just had a huge OpenAI dev conference and uh, make a huge splash across the industry. And can you maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, how this impacted the general landscape of the AI and how this impact to uh, larger enterprises or uh, individuals? Thank you. Okay, great. So I think right now the world is trying to figure out one, exactly what the value chain for the AI economy will look like in the future. But if you were to take a step back and just look at it in, in a very simplified manner, I think there are uh, three large components of, of the AI economy. So one is the model, the, the actual set of mathematical equations with, uh, with billions of parameters that define an, an AI. The, the second piece is the large volume of, of varied data that can be used to train AI. And the third is compute. Compute in a value chain perspective is very upstream. 
as in this is really the fundamental part that feeds into every application, every type of business that's seeking to build and build a, an economic model out of selling AI services and products. Data is something that's very difficult for startups to really have any value claim because only thing that works in data in a meaningful way is to have tons and tons of volume of, of very different types. And of course, you know, who owns all of that right now are just the very few of the largest technology companies in the world. And then the, the first piece on the AI model, I think most academics would agree that there hasn't been a ton of progress in the last uh, few decades in finding innovations in the actual theory of, of AI modeling. But it's really the matter of using the right kind of data to fine tune your model and having enough compute power to keep up with the growing complexities of these models. And, you know, when you look at it now, ironically, no one comes close to open AI, right? So not, not even Google, Meta, Amazon, or, or any of these large technology companies in terms of the talent they have in their research and development arms. Really, no one has come close to building an artificial general intelligence that performs at the level of uh, ChatGPT's latest versions. And I think OpenAI is making very smart business decisions, exploiting this fact. And I think they're taking the playbook from the, the incumbent successful technology players by trying to own the ecosystem and, and, the, and the part of the value chain that's fundamental to everything else that's going to have to be built on top of it. So they want to be as helpful and, and as useful as possible to the application developer so that there will be killer apps and, and other plugins and, and tools that, that work off of ChatGPT, which is, a, again, a very smart business move. And it seems like they're just so far ahead from the competition that no one else seems to be coming any closer. And this is all compounded by the fact that compute at the very high end, at the, at the, at the very highest upstream, NVIDIA has monopoly on compute. So this combination of very few limited concentrations in the critical parts of the value chain, it, it appears that these are the two players that are really calling the shots. That's amazing. It looks like they're pretty centralized. Uh, and on the flip side, on the decentralized side, you know, like there are a lot of news and development lately. Uh, we're the second part of the 2023. And, uh, you know, like Bitcoin has been up quite a bit. And also there's tons of news still circling around the FTX and what's going to happen over there. Can you maybe share a little bit on, you know, what's the landscape on cryptocurrency side and uh, you know, how this impact your business as well? Yeah, sure. So the, the view I have on this is relevant to my training as an economist. And I think a lot of the, the rally in the cryptocurrency that we've observed in the past few weeks actually coincides with what's also been happening in the broader equities market in the world. So the past couple of weeks, S&P 500, NASDAQ, they've all rallied by more than 7.5%, in fact, just in the past week. And, and so what was the reasoning behind that? Well, that comes off of Jim Powell, the chairman of Federal Reserve, making remarks related to inflation and what his projections are for the, the eventual uh, peak interest rates and the peak interest rates and, and the monetary policy. And, you know, the, our, our latest jobs figure from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows us that unemployment rate is starting to inch up slightly and that economy is overall cooling. And of course, for 
the the broader investment crowd this is great news for them as they're really begging for interest rates to come down and you know how does all of this relate to the crypto market well think of what crypto markets represent okay so cryptocurrency to much of some of the most bullish proponents disappointment you know when you take bitcoin as an example it still has yet to become a form of a traded currency to exchange values or value added services or products okay and so the proposition of trading cryptocurrency has primarily been speculative and it remains to this day right because there's no real world use for any of them and so you know what fuels speculative bets easy money low interest rate and when money is cheap that fans the fire for these speculative animal spirits to go out and and make tough bets okay and especially for the speculative in instruments like bitcoin because the idea is even though we don't see any real world applications today the belief and faith among the adherents is that in the future at some point that value will come right so in a simple finance discounted cash flow model if the interest rate is very high your denominator goes up so the value today is very low okay and especially for the most speculative instruments like cryptocurrency they're incredibly far dated and far dated instruments are especially sensitive to movements in interest rates so i think the more important question is because crypto markets are also sensitive to movements in interest rates you know what do we think the interest rates are going to be and and i think that's the big question that any everyone is trying to wrestle with and the consensus view in the market is that actually from last year people were expecting there to be a recession in the US economy by this time or the third quarter of 2023 and of course to everyone's surprise that hasn't been the case you know the US economy remains quite resilient the European Union went through a is currently going through a technical recession because of Germany uh, which is heavily exposed to manufacturing and, and exports but it's a technical recession so their gdp has contracted by slightly but it's it's not in, in a in in a noticeable fashion that where many people are out of jobs and and a lot of that i think is connected to the mistake of the market participants of focusing on monetary policy as the culprit behind what's fueling inflation but if you think about it very carefully at the onset of the covid pandemic in 2020 it wasn't the the low interest rates that went into effect because the fact of the matter is interest rates have been very low for the past 20 years coming out of the financial crisis okay so even though the the monetary policy became even more accommodating during the pandemic really what had a big impact in the economy was the stimulus spending of the US government that just threw thousands of dollars to american households regardless of what their income levels were they were i mean they were just giving out checks and that resulted in a near doubling of a fiscal policy in the US where we were spending somewhere close to 1.2 trillion dollars in 2020 and all that excess spending is really in my view what's been causing this overheating in the economy so if if you believe that then you would hope for inflation to come down as soon as fiscal spending also cools down that's something that appears to be a a difficult thing to be done because right now there's the war in the middle east you know the 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 Hamas Israeli war is costing us in our in our defense budget and the Ukraine Russia war that's less than a year old now is is hitting our bottom line so i think these are some of the pieces that suggest inflation may be here longer than we would like 
which also translates to interest rates remaining stubbornly high, more than we would like. And I think that is not really a good macroeconomic tailwind for the, for the crypto markets, but who knows? You know, it's, it's difficult to tell exactly what the future is. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for your, for your insight. And, uh, let's zoom into, you know, Xbase. And, uh, because of you, you guys doing something very, very unique. Can you maybe tell us about your uh, competitor landscape? You know, with your knowledge, do you know any competitors? Are they doing the similar things? What are the difference between you and them? So we're currently in discussions with some really well-known top tier VCs that, and of course, when you're a venture capitalist, even though you care a lot about competition, the fact is you get to double dip, right? You can invest and be exposed to everything. So one example that comes to mind is um, Jensen, which is a, a very successful startup based out of London. They've raised a ton of money over the years doing something that appears to be similar to what we're doing. And, and often we get asked by VCs that how we view them as a competitor. And the position we take is that they're actually not really a com competition for us because we're not doing the same thing. As part of providing and building the technology for decentralized compute, the technology stack is quite big and very complicated with many different components. And as I said before, our primary value add is being able to optimize and convert consumer-grade GPUs like the 4090s and 3090s so that they can become repurposed and function as a commercial-grade machine. And we take the view that it's the accelerating the GPUs and optimizing and, and orchestrating them in, in an efficient manner in a decentralized format that's really the linchpin of what makes decentralized compute work. Whereas Jensen, they're focused more on the, the trustless verifiability and the zero knowledge proof technologies that allows them to execute and validate transactions without revealing sensitive information. Now, we understand that that's very valuable and important, but because we've, we've had a long track record of commercializing distributed compute, albeit not in this particular AI context, we understand that performance, speed, acceleration, and optimization is really what matters in order to be successful, to, to successfully commercialize decentralized platforms. So I think Jensen is a great example where I think for those who don't understand the nuance of the technology stack, they kind of lump us all together in, in, the, in the same bucket, but we're, we are quite different. And I think Jensen is working on a very important, a tough problem that's incredibly important for success of blockchain technologies in the context of AI. But we have made our decision and believe that the optimization and focusing on the everyday GPUs to harness them and to extract AI power out of them is the critical piece in, or, in order to enable and, and and give an answer to the shortage of compute problem for AI. And hopefully both of us are successful in the end. Thank you very much. That's amazing. My last question for now is like, how do you think of the uh, experts, uh, other the blockchain technology can contribute to the you know sustainability and also social improvement? A very important component of blockchain technologies, and I think um, it's relation to sustainability and social improvement, is that it really represents a technological breakthrough in disintermediation. Okay. Uh, so disintermediation means you cut out the middleman, the institutional authority that's in charge of making sure everything works, right? And 
disintermediation, what it does is it, of course, lowers cost, right? Because you, you have fewer actors in the economy. You increase efficiency and you eventually, you ultimately empower individuals. And as we've all seen in the past three or four years, the, the world has increasingly become really disenchanted with institutions and uh, the establishments. You know, we've seen, we've seen this through the, the vaccine controversies of the recent pandemic, the difficulties of discerning facts from fiction and the media narratives of, of events that we see every day. So this idea of empowering individuals to have ownership in economic models and actively being a participant in the process that, that make things work, we think is an important part of our next chapter. That, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all this. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, you know, like I would like to look, move to, a, I call it quick fire round. Just ask you a question and you answer me briefly without too much of explanation, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit better. And um, you know, let's get started. What's your favorite book and why? So in 10th grade humanities, I was required to read a book called The Source by James Missioner. And this book is about, it's a survey of human history from the beginning Okay, as, as recorded in the, in the biblical texts to the 20th century and 20th century because it was written before 2000. So this book helped me train my mind to always look at the big picture of everything. Yeah, I, I'm adding this to my reading list. And next one, and uh, when you face the difficulty or challenges, you know, what's your initial first step and uh, to solve the, to find a solution? The, the first step is you want to understand the root of the problem. And then once you brainstorm and come up with a bunch of different solutions, don't waste time, try them out. You know, don't be afraid to fail. If, if something goes wrong, come back to the drawing board and figure out what happened and keep going. Sounds good. And uh, if given the chance to have lunch with any person from history or from the present, who would you choose? And, uh, you know, like why you do that? Jesus Christ. You know, because uh, whether or not, whether, so whether or not you uh, believe that he was God, I think um, it's remarkable to find out how he pulled off such a successful religious campaign that has endured the last 2000 years and, and has pretty much given birth to Western democracy. Cool. And uh, what is a single piece of advice if you can give it to anyone who's thinking about you know doing their own startups to want to be an entrepreneur? Everything has to add up in the end. So I know that you know, there's not a single entrepreneur that pursues their dream without thinking about the big home runs they'll hit, right? The, the billions of dollars they, they might make and the big impact they can have in the industry. But it's the, the sobering reality is it has to add up, you know, meaning you have to also be aware and accept the very, very high cost of failure, you know? So that's certainly a possibility. You should be aware of it. Don't be blind to that and, and um, you know, work hard. Before we wrap up, and uh, can you tell the audience like where to find you? And uh, can you maybe say a few things to just to summarize, you know, like uh, what are you doing and what are you doing, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Yes, of course. So you can find me on LinkedIn, on, on X. I don't use the, the other social media platforms. I think I'm, I'm of the, the older generation that, that doesn't quite understand TikTok or Instagram. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm fully dedicated and committed to exhibits. And uh, we're, I'm very excited and uh, hopeful that we'll be very successful uh, as long as we keep at it and you know partner up with the, the right teams, uh, work with the right talent. So you can visit exhibits at exhibits.ai and you can you can follow my team on our journey to building the the best and the first decentralized computing network. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning into the Valkyrie Fund podcast. If you enjoyed today's insights and stories, do not forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you usually listen to podcasts. We value your thoughts. So share your feedback by emailing us at info at valkyriefund.xyz. Your insights are always welcome. As we navigate the journey of turning dreams into reality, keep in mind, every hiccup is a lesson and every step forward is a victory. This is BL Investment, Valkyrie Insights Podcast, dedicated to empowering you on your path to becoming the entrepreneurship rockstar you are destined to be. Stay inspired, stay driven, and until next time, keep conquering new horizons.